Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. One of the problems we have in our society, ladies and gentlemen, is we have too much information. We don't know what information is good and what information is bad. And there seems to be a certain level of hysteria right now regarding this coronavirus that I thought I'd get somebody on this program who is a medical doctor who could help us through some of this information we're hearing out there and uh, sort of give us uh, some some grounding, because I think things are getting a little bit hysterical out there. I mean, is it time to run and hide? I mean, should you cut yourself off from other people because of a coronavirus? Is the level of concern reasonable or is it overblown? overblown? And as Christians, what should we be doing? Uh, is, is, is there any, anything we ought to be doing with regard to what appears to be a crisis? That's what we're going to talk about today. And, uh, well, I can tell you one thing that is certain. In a time of uncertainty, the market hates it. You can see that. I mean, this past week has been crazy with regard to the stock market. What kind of certainty can we have and how should we react or respond to this kind of hysteria, which appears to be going on in our country right now? And for that, I want to bring on a friend of mine who I've known for many years. His name is Dr. Dan Eichenberger, and uh, he has been in medicine for many years. He's been the president of a hospital just outside of Louisville, Kentucky, called Baptist Health Floyd. He just retired from that, but... Uh, Prior to that, of course, he was a a medical doctor. He had uh, several patients. He still has patients. In fact, I call him the hardest working man in medicine because when I visited his home on a couple of occasions doing some apologetics conferences, I would get up to have breakfast and he had already been to the hospital visiting his patients. He's the guy that comes home for breakfast and then goes back to the hospital. So it's great to have Dan on. His wife, Stephanie, is an RN as well. They have uh, three children, several grandchildren, and uh, Dan oversaw 600 physicians and a hospital with over 2,000 employees, so he knows what he's doing. So, Dan, welcome to the program. Thanks, Frank. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Yeah, well, I didn't know if I I just called you this morning because I said, you know, I'm going to talk about this thing, and I'm not all that qualified to talk about it, so I reached out to you, and I didn't know you didn't even have any time in your schedule, but thankfully you do. Well, first of all, tell us what you've been doing in medicine, because you kind of have a long, long history doing a a, a lot of different roles in the medical world. What have you done? Where where, where did you come from, and how did you get to where you are? Sure. I've been in uh, primary care practice. I'm an internal medicine, uh, boarded both in adult internal medicine as well as pediatrics. I've been in a private practice for 27 years. Uh, and then I've been the chief medical officer as well as the president and CEO of a 240-bed acute care hospital uh, overseeing what you said, 2,000 employees and uh, four to 600 physicians on, on the medical staff. So uh, we've seen a, a lot over the years and uh, have a lot of experience. And you also have experience in apologetics, just so people will know that. I mean, uh, you and uh, Stephanie, your wife, have attended CIA. I know Stephanie's been at least a couple of times. I know you've been at least once, maybe more. 
Um, and you, you've taught apologetics in your local church there. Um, but we're not here to talk about that right now. I, I want to ask you about this. Cause I remember we were, um, we were for some reason, I just remember this distinct conversation we had must've been a couple of years ago. We were driving from the church back to your home and we got talking about the flu virus. And I said, why is the flu virus always bigger, much bigger? In fact, maybe it, it only is passed on in the winter rather than the summer. Why is that? Well, all these viruses typically have seasonal variations. Uh, coronavirus okay. is no different. We've seen coronavirus for years. Um, and, you know, we've only been able to test for these viruses with the new technology, what we call PCR, preliminary chain reaction type of testing, makes it easier. And uh, just in the last few years, we've had a uh, what we call a respiratory viral panel that we can do at a hospital on patients that tests for literally, you know, 14 to 20 different viruses that we were never able to test for just 10 years ago. So it's made it much easier to make the diagnosis and treat patients Um and coronavirus, again, is one of those viruses we've had around for years. So uh, it just happens to be a different strain than what we're used to seeing. Um, it's in the same classification as what SARS was a few years ago, as well mm -hmm. as the uh, MERS, M-E-R-S, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. Uh, all those viruses were coronaviruses. This just happens to be a different strain of what we've already seen for years. So is there anything really unique about this particular one? What's what's different about it than previous ones? Uh, the social media aspect of <laughs> the <laughs> coronavirus. Uh, no, I mean, uh, certainly, you know, with influenza and all these viruses, you have what we call uh, uh, antigenic shift or drifts uh, that changes the protein of the uh, membrane. And when these membrane proteins change, it, they can become either more or less virulent and they can affect different types of individuals. So such as the respiratory syncytial virus, which is uh, around every year, but the worst case scenarios are on infants less than a year of age and certainly six months of age or less. Although adults mm -hmm. get it and adults die from respiratory syncytial virus, it's more prevalent in the younger generation. This one, this coronavirus just happens to be more prevalent in the older uh, generation with underlying illnesses. And that's related to the uh, membrane proteins that allow it to uh, infect the host. Well, what percentage, I know it does vary with age, as you mentioned, uh, what percentage of uh, people will die of this coronavirus? Do we even know at this point? We don't know. And that's where, uh, you know, there's statistics, darn statistics, and, uh, you know, and then uh, every other combination you can uh, put a label on. But, mm -hmm. um, so the first person who died in the first case, it was 100% mortality rate. You, you right. start testing and you get uh, 100 people, the mortality rate drops to 1% if that's the only person. So the denominator is the key issue here. And with influenza, testing is done in every office in the United States, uh, every hospital, every lab. Uh, the testing for coronavirus you know, started out just regionally, and now it's in state labs. And it's finally getting down to some community labs. So as we start testing more and more people, the denominator goes up, the incidence of the mortality rate goes down. So uh, at this point, uh, you know, it's very hard to say. I mean, and, and certainly different countries will have different rates based on their testing as well as their uh, ability to care for the patients. So right now in the United States, it's about, you know, statistically, the numbers we have is 2.7%. Mm. But that's going to go down 
once we start testing more and seeing these asymptomatic patients that are uh, coming up positive. In fact, the CDC, I saw, estimates that anywhere from 20,000 to 50,000 people in the U.S. have either died from the flu or will die from the flu this year. Now, so far, and we're recording this on Friday, the uh, 13th of March, Ooh, Friday the 13th. Um, and uh, so far, as I've seen it as of this morning, what, 40 people in the U.S. have died of the coronavirus. Do you think it's going to be more deadly than the flu, in your opinion, Dr. Dan Eichenberger? No, I think it's going to be a very similar ratio once we get uh, all the numbers and start testing more people. I think it's going to be uh, fairly similar. It may be a slight bit higher just because of the membrane proteins and the, uh, the, the rate of infectivity, but, but I think it's going to be very similar to the flu. Well, we got a lot more to ask Dr. Dan. In fact, uh, he's going to stay on for at least for the next segment, maybe more, because I have several more questions about this. And I want to ask him his personal opinion as to whether or not this has been overhyped or not, and whether the measures that are currently being taken, like canceling all sporting events, even churches have been canceling their services. Uh, the service that I'll be speaking at tomorrow, or, or really Sunday, uh, Will not be canceled, as far as the pastor says. I'm speaking out at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, this Sunday for the three services and then an evening event with the uh, youth. So if you're anywhere near Chino Hills, California, not far from L.A., Riverside, that area, I'll be speaking at all three services, Lord willing, uh, this Sunday, uh, March 15th. We'll be talking about does love require approval? Does love require approval? Hope you can make it out. If not, you can see it online streaming. And uh, we'll come back with Dr. Dan Eichenberger and talk about this coronavirus. Should we run and hide? How should Christians respond? Don't go anywhere. We're back in just two minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, can you help me with something? Can you help me get this podcast before more people? Not only tell your friends about it, but go up to iTunes and put a five-star review on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. If you do that, it will help us move the podcast up the charts so more people will hear it. Thank you so much for partnering with me on this. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Yes, I'm a doctor, but not the kind of doctor that can help you. Not with the coronavirus out there. We've got Dr. Dan Eichenberger on the line. Dan, as I pointed out at the top of the program, has had almost 30 years experience in this world, including leading a hospital just outside of Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, so he is a wealth of information on this. Now, Dan, during the break, we were talking about uh, the maybe the more people will die from the financial aspects of this. What did you mean by that? Well, there's a lot of issues related to the coronavirus financially. I mean, you look at the markets. I mean, you know, there's mm -hmm. going to be uh, stress related to the uh, decline in the markets. But besides that, people's ability to earn a living and bring right. in an income, people who live paycheck to paycheck, whether or not they can, uh, you know, afford food, whether they can afford their medicines, whether they can afford for other issues they may have. I mean, we there's no way to judge and estimate that number. But certainly we know that when you have a financial impact like this is causing, it is going to be uh, have some downstream consequences that are, uh, you know, we don't, we just don't know yet. Yeah. You know, you don't really think about that. Sometimes the the cure can be worse than the disease. Yes. If you shut down the American economy, how many people are going to die from that? That's correct. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point that I hadn't thought of. That's why we have the great Dr. Dan Eichenberger on with me, because he's thinking of these things I have never thought of. 
That's true. Um, you, you, I mean, you have all the sporting world shut down. Think about all the people that 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 serve at these events, the vendors, the uh, the people that work at the events, the, the the food delivery to these events, the food and drink delivery, all the businesses around these events that, that profit from people coming to these events, uh, the advertising that's on TV, no longer there. I mean, there's a, a series of dominoes that fall when we might be taking too draconian a, a uh, approach here, and we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later in the program, but I want to I stay on the medical side of this before we get there, Dan, because I've just read, and there's some nice articles on the, on the, uh, on the uh, Gospel Coalition website, which is a website I normally go to, Gospel Coalition. There's an app as well, Gospel Coalition, that you can look up uh, articles written from a Christian perspective on these issues. You can also go to stream.org. That's stream.org, another great website. And I've read that 89% of patients who get the coronavirus will only have mild symptoms, and 20% of the people who get it will have such mild symptoms that they don't even know they have it. Is, is that common with viruses like this, Dan? Yeah, extremely common. Uh, we see that every year. I mean, we, you, you know, you've had family members, friends, relatives who had the stuffy nose, co- common cold type symptoms. You know, some of those may have been a coronavirus. Some of them may be a rhinovirus. Some may be an adenovirus. Some may be, you know, there's lots of viruses out there that we just don't test for because the symptoms are so mild and it's not going to change our treatment. Now, is there any treatment for a virus or, or do you just treat the symptoms of a virus? Uh, in mild to moderate cases, you just treat the symptoms. In mm-hmm. severe cases, uh, end up with a lower respiratory type of pneumonia, uh, which is uh, what causes most of the deaths in these types of patients. Uh, then, you, you know, it's, it's more than just supportive care. I mean, you're, you're putting on ventilators and you're doing all kinds of aggressive measures using experimental drugs. There is unfortunately not a specific drug available to treat any of these viruses. Uh, some are somewhat effective and may help diminish the duration or the severity, but none of them are curative like you see in bacterial infections like strep and staph and some of those. So for strep and staph, you can take an antibiotic, but the antibiotic does not work on a virus. That's correct. Okay. Uh, now, in other viruses, these, as you mentioned earlier, these things are seasonal, and when warmer weather comes around, they go away. Do you think that's going to be the case with the coronavirus? Do we even know yet? Well, when you look historically, uh, there is nothing uh, in this coronavirus change uh, with the, you know, the antigenic shift or drift that we talk about in influenza that would make you think uh, this variation of coronavirus is going to be able to withstand the seasonal change we have seen for the last hundred years with coronavirus. So there's no reason to be uh, thinking that all of a sudden this thing has figured out how to survive, uh, you know, warm weather. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. just likely not going to happen statistically. So we're going to see, we're going to see a general decline with coronavirus in the next few weeks. Okay. So about, when is flu season over traditionally? What what month or where? What, what does, is it April? When, yeah, typically in April. Yep. Okay. You, you, so, you will see a scattered cases through the year, uh, and you do with coronavirus and the other respiratory viruses through the year. But the incidence and the peak is usually, you know, in the uh, early winter season, January through March. Why is that? Uh, physiologically, why is, why is it more prevalent in colder months? Well, because typically viruses uh, 
have a typical temperature variation that they survive in uh, and humidity range and a lot of other, uh, you know, environmental factors that play a role in its survival. So, uh, and again, we've not seen that type of antigenic drift or shift in even influenza. You know, influenza has changed a number of times over the years, but it's still seasonal. It's never changed from a seasonal pattern. So there's no reason and, to think that coronavirus is going to all of a sudden be able to do that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. if you're a betting person or just a reasonable person that looks at history and looks at uh, this kind of virus, it's going to behave the same way that all the other ones have behaved in your view, correct? Yes, yes. I mean, okay. that's what most reasonable people would would say. Mm-hmm. Well, are we, that's my next question. Why do we have this current level of hysteria? I mean, does it, does it make sense to shut all large gatherings down? Well, in my opinion, it doesn't. But we, again, we live in a herd mentality type of culture. So mm-hmm. once, once we start doing something, everyone else seems to want to do it as well. You know, if mm. you've got 100 people wanting to jump off a bridge, the person, one person who doesn't want to jump off looks crazy. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily make him wrong. Uh, but again, once we live in a herd mentality culture, then we start having, uh, and we live in a litigious culture. Uh, the problem is actuarials out there are crunching numbers for these big organizations. And if your organization decides to go against the culture of what's being done and you have one death, uh, the attorneys are going to come after you. Um, mm. now, if the government wanted to do something to help the economy, the government could certainly put limits on how lawyers could bring up a lawsuit related to a coronavirus illness, unless there's truly negligence or malpractice or, or something. But there's going to be a lot of lawsuits out there because companies didn't follow what everyone else was doing. Mm. Well, I mean, what should people be doing? Washing your hands. Avoid. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if, if your city, your community has had a number of positive cases, then certainly, you know, avoiding places where there's huge gatherings and there's not a lot of hygiene and a lot of not, lot, not a lot of separation between individuals. Yes, you can electively choose not to participate in those events. But short of that, I mean, you should live your life normally and just do the routine things you would do with any other viral season. Yeah, there is a viral season every year, friends. We go through it and far more people have died from the flu than the coronavirus. And yet we, we don't say don't go to a sporting event or don't go to church. In fact, let me ask you this as a pastor. There's several mega church pastors that this week have canceled their services and they're canceling them for the next several weeks. In your view, is that something they ought to do? Is it a judgment call? What's your, what's your view on that, Dr. Dan? Well, again, I think taking into account the age of your congregation, if your Mm -hmm. congregation is a small congregation and everyone's over the age of 60 and you've had positive coronaviruses in your community, uh, it might be reasonable to, you know, uh, electively stop that service for that week. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you're in a community that has not seen any cases and you've got a, you know, uh, an ability to, uh, you know, do the routine types of 
uh, hand hygiene and other things and encourage your people who are sick not to come, then I, I, I think it's overkill to cancel mm-hmm. all these events, including churches. You know, I, I'm just going to be honest here, Dr. Dan, I'm talking to Dr. Dan Eichenberger, who uh, is a medical expert and has been a doctor for many years and has led hospitals and uh, has had patients himself while he's the CEO of a hospital. So he knows what he's talking about. I, I don't know about you, Dr. Dan, but I've always hated and continue to hate the shake your neighbor's hand part of the service anyway. Have you? Yes. Let's yeah, greet one and no, let's not. Well, okay. and especially during the flu season, you know, drinking uh, wine after each other uh, is probably not a great idea for churches. That's to right. Do. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, there's some simple things that you could do to minimize the risk, but you're never going to eliminate the risk because this has right. always been around. It always will be around. So mm-hmm. it's risk mitigation is what you want to do. That makes sense. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happened to common sense in our current environment. But uh, well, you're right. It's groupthink. It's herd mentality. It's CYA. Those of you who know what that means can translate it for yourself. There's there's a lot of people out there that, as you just mentioned, are worried that look well if the church down the road has canceled services. I guess I do too. Or if the NBA has canceled services, the NHL is going to go. Yeah, I guess we have to do as well. The PGA. The these people. PGA events, they're outside and they just canceled the players. You know, right. the one of, it's one of the five majors, they just canceled it after playing the first round because they were worried that, well, everybody else is doing it. I guess we have to do it as well. And it's an overabundance of caution. Maybe they're right, but it really seems to go above and beyond what seems reasonable. We don't do that in the flu season. We don't cancel everything. All right. Last well, question, think, Dr. Dan. Yeah. If you were a benevolent dictator of America, what would you do? Well, so I I would immediately limit the amount of litigation that could occur with the coronavirus so that companies Mm -hmm. and industries feel comfortable enough to continue day to day life. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because I think the financial implications of what we're doing is going to be far more serious health wise Mm -hmm. and otherwise for people than what the coronavirus itself is going to do. I mean, I've labeled this kind of media terrorism. When you talk about <laughs> terrorism, uh, I mean, you're really talking about a systematic use of fear or terror to as a means of coercion. I mean, I think that's what we're doing here. Um, and we just get people piling on and nobody really using some common sense to deal with mm. this. Mm. Well, Dan, it's been great having you on. Thanks for giving us some sanity in a time when people appear to be unable to uh, have common sense, as you just said. So I want to I want to thank you and Stephanie and say hi to the family as well. But uh, all right, you really helped us out here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Frank. Talk to you later. That's Dr. Dan Eichenberger, who, as I say, is a medical doctor and also an apologist, by the way, up there in the Louisville area. Actually, lives in uh, Southern Indiana. It's great having him on and getting some uh, clarity on what is information overload, and much of it is hype. You got a twenty four seven news cycle. They got to keep you watching, don't they? I'm Frank Turek. We're back in just two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, 
don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. Should you run and hide? That's what the government seems to be saying. That's what all these sports leagues seem to be saying. That's what even some churches seem to be saying. Well, we had hopefully a shot of sanity from my friend Dr. Daniel Eichenberger. If you hadn't, you're just tuning in now. You want to go back and uh, in the podcast and listen to the first two segments about this coronavirus. And he thinks it's been overhyped. And I've been saying that a while. But look, I'm not a medical doctor, so I wanted to have him on. I didn't even know his position on it when I emailed him or, or texted him this morning. I said, Dan, can you come on and talk about it? And he was saying the same things I thought were true. But I just wanted to make sure uh, not to say that this thing isn't deadly. It is to a small percentage of people and you do want to take precautions, but to shut down the entire U S economy over this, is that really the way of dealing with it? And look, you got to admit, no matter which side of the political aisle you're on, the news media loves to hype things and they love to hype them because look, they got to fill a lot of airtime. There's 24 seven news. Now there's not only 24 seven news. They've got advertisers that, that want viewership quite obviously that's why they're paying to be on these different news networks so they can reach customers but if there's nothing really interesting to watch then they're going to tune out the customers are going to tune out and then and ad revenue is going to go down so you really got to be aware uh that a lot of this is hyped and you know i've for many years have been a fan of the drudge report just because you could get a lot of uh, a kind of offbeat news there but Drudge is hyping this so much. In fact, I saw a headline uh, today, and I'm recording this on Friday, about 150 million could be infected. And then you read the article, and the, the guy from the CDC is going, oh, you, you don't know if those assumptions are right. You don't know if the, the model is right. You're, you know, that's kind of irresponsible to even make that headline when the guy from the CDC is going, I don't know if the assumptions are right. Why, why hype this thing? Why cause all this panic Precautions, yes. Panic, no. Panic doesn't help, especially when you've got bad information or virtually, let's put it this way, you've got a lot of incomplete information. As Dr. Dan was saying, once you start diagnosing these, these, uh, these people more and more, probably the death rate is going to go down quite a bit. Uh, and 89% of the people that get this have very mild symptoms. 20% of the people that get it don't even know they have it. That's how mild it is. It is the people who are older, quite obviously, that are more prone to it or people with respiratory issues already. So we need a, a shot of common sense, a shot of sanity here, and I hope Dr. Dan gave it to us. In any event, let's talk about this from a Christian perspective now. Oh, before we do, i got to mention this. This just came out. And MSNBC host Joy Reid tweeted to Thursday about reports that the proposed emergency spending bill from House Democrats to combat this coronavirus outbreak was halted over a dispute involving, drumroll please, abortion. Now, this is an MSNBC host, so she's probably left in her view 
And she writes uh, in a tweet, it was just reported that Republican objections to the House Democrats emergency uh, coronavirus bill include issues related to abortion. What does that have to do with the coronavirus, she asks? Well, it turns out that According to this article, anyway, Nancy Pelosi was trying to put in one billion dollars into this coronavirus emergency relief fund to pay for abortions to go against the Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment, as you know, is the amendment that prevents supposedly prevents government funds from going to abortion. Well, Nancy Pelosi puts this billion dollars into the coronavirus emergency fund. So she could get around the Hyde Amendment and have the government pay for abortions. This is the party of death, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are trying to prevent death with the coronavirus emergency relief fund. And Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats want to use a billion dollars of that to pay for abortion. I've had it. This is just crazy. But that's the party of death. That's what goes on. You know, God makes the invisible visible. God comes to earth, adds humanity to his deity, and you can see him in Jesus. God makes the visible, or I should say the invisible, visible. Satan makes the visible invisible. What do I mean by that? Well, you've got Nancy Pelosi. I'm not calling her Satan. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying this is satanic to try and pay for abortion anyway with government funding, but she's trying to hide. She's trying to take the visible and make it invisible. She's trying to, in the, in, in an extreme situation, she's trying to hide money to pay for abortion into this emergency bill to stop the coronavirus or to address the coronavirus. She's making the visible invisible she's trying to hide it if she just tried to bring that up for a vote just by itself everybody would see it but it was the white house that stepped in and said hey why is this in here why is this in here and we have people denying the truth all around them you know satan's involved when people are denying what's visible all around them they're saying that babies aren't really babies they're just blobs of tissue that's what they're saying they're saying that it's not really a human being when everybody knows it is. They're saying their gender isn't really their gender. There's the visible right in front of them. And they're trying to make it invisible. I mean, look, when sometimes people will come to me and they say, Frank, you know, there's no evidence for God. Or I don't see any evidence for God. And sometimes I'll ask them, you know, is there any evidence for gender? If they say no, I say, look, I can't help you with the God thing. All right. Look, if you can't see. What is obvious in front of you, go look in the mirror. If you're going to deny the obvious visible thing in front of you, then I can't help you with an invisible entity that obviously you can't see. If you're going to deny the visible, you're certainly going to deny the invisible. And Satan makes the visible invisible. God makes the invisible visible. He comes to earth. He says, here I am. But Satan makes the visible invisible. He gets people to believe that what's right in front of them doesn't exist. They don't believe in creation, yet <laughs> this is a created universe. They can see it. 
They don't believe in biological design, even though they can see it. You can see with the proper equipment (laughs) at the microbiological level, you can see design. And of course, you can see design at the macrobiological level as well. They can, they sense, when I say see in this sense, they can sense in their intuition that they're objective moral obligations. They, they know that. But yet they're ready to deny that it's not, they're ready to deny the Holocaust was wrong. They're ready to say it wasn't really wrong. Like, for example, an atheist I debated, David Silverman, who at the time was the president of the American Atheist. He, we actually got into a conversation where I, I, I kept saying, look, David, if there's no God, the Holocaust isn't wrong. And he finally, after hemming and hawing for quite a while, he finally admitted, you're right, yeah, the Holocaust isn't really wrong. And he knows that's not true. But he'd rather have his atheism than to be morally obligated to God. So he's going to deny objective moral obligations. You have atheists denying consciousness exists. Daniel Dennett says, uh, you know, consciousness is an illusion. One wonders if he was conscious when he said that. Sam Harris, same thing. Sam Harris denies consciousness and denies free will. I ask, well, who's saying this? And are you freely saying this? Look, here's the, here's the amazing thing when you think about it. Atheists not only deny that God exists, they deny human beings exist like themselves. Why? Because we don't have consciousness. How do we even know anything exists? How do we even know free will exists if we don't have consciousness? Or if we don't have free will, how do we know our thoughts are correct, including our thoughts about whether or not God exists? So ironically, atheists who claim to be champions of humanity don't even believe humanity exists because they deny what makes us human consciousness, free will, moral choice. They deny all that. This is why someone like Peter Singer, who is a professor of ethics at Princeton University, I don't know if he's still there, maybe he's still there, but anyway, this is why he said, look, a human being is no more valuable than a pig. That's why you should be able to abort your children up to 28 days after birth if you don't want them. After birth, why stop at 28 days? Why are you just arbitrarily drawing the line there? Why not 28 weeks, 28 months, 28 years? What does it matter if there's no God, if there is no objective right and wrong? Where are you coming up with that standard of objective right and wrong by trying to say that 28 days is the, is the line? So anyway, you've got people trying to get abortion funded because they see an opportunity to make the visible invisible and hide it in the coronavirus emergency relief fund that Congress is trying to pass. That is just crazy and diabolical. But that's what's going on in our country right now. Now, Christians, how are we supposed to respond? Well, I think that this is a perfect time to preach the gospel. If people are concerned about their, their health and their life, this is a perfect time to try and talk about the fact that, yeah, you're not going to be here forever. As uh, Psalm 103 says, one of my favorite Psalms, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. 
James says your life is like a vapor. You're here today, gone tomorrow. We could all be gone tomorrow. We're fragile. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Yeah, our days are numbered. And the coronavirus can wake people up to that, just like 9-11 did, by the way. Our churches were filled the Sunday after 9-11. People were looking for answers. They're looking for community. They're looking for support. They're looking for encouragement. And yet many churches are shutting down. Now, it's a little different era now. Obviously, uh, you can still do a service online. I get that. But in my view, I think you ought to, as Dr. Dan said, you ought to tell your elderly population, okay, maybe you want to stay home. If you're sick, stay home. But if you're not, come and let's talk and bring a friend. And we'll have hand sanitizer at the door. Wash your hands. We're not going to do the meet and greet thing anyway. But let's come and talk about this. Let's worship the Lord. We do have something that's certain, and that's our eternity if we trust in Jesus. You know, we all have a virus. It's called sin, and there's only one answer, and that's Jesus. So let's let's tell people about that when they might be apt to hear it. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. If you like what we do, would you please consider going to crossexamined.org and giving us a tax-deductible donation? 100% of your donations will go to ministry, 0% to buildings. Thanks so much. You know, if you can't go anywhere, if your school's closed and uh, you still want to learn, it is a good time to get involved in online courses. And in fact, we have a new one coming up, as you know, with uh, Dr. Sean McDowell addressing homosexuality with clarity and compassion. That starts April 1. If you want to be a part of the Zoom part of that, in other words, the part where you'll interact with Sean and myself live via Zoom video, you need to sign up for the premium version, but that's going to fill up soon. So you want to sign up quickly go to crossexamine.org click on online courses you'll see it there and you'll see a bunch of other online courses as well fearless faith with myself jay warner wallace and mike adams i don't have enough faith to be an atheist stealing from god the resurrection course with gary habermas textual criticism with dan wallace uh, doubting toward faith with uh, bobby conway historical reliability of the bible with craig blomberg you'll also see intro to theology with michael Patton. there's a ton of courses up there that you can take now and especially if your school is canceled gee you might as well learn something while you're waiting around so check all that out go to crossexamine.org click on online courses and uh you'll see it all there now you would not imagine that c.s lewis would have responded to the coronavirus well he actually didn't but something similar to it Here is what Lewis said, and this is from 1948, C.S. Lewis, and this was at a time when the atomic bomb obviously was had been used a few years prior to that. And people really worried, is it going to be used here? Well, here's what Lewis said about the atomic bomb and the angst that people had about it. He said, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. You could put coronavirus in there if you wanted to he said this how are we to live in an atomic age i am tempted to reply why as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited london almost every year 
or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you already are living, an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, and an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. This is Frank Turek. I'm reading something from C.S. Lewis. So he's writing this 60, 70 years ago, 70 years ago. But he's talking about the age of the atomic bomb. And he's saying, don't panic. Let's keep living life. Okay, here's Lewis again. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us are going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors. We had anesthesia. And we still have that right now. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're going to, if we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb or coronavirus, let that bomb, when it comes, find us. Uh, hang on. Let, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not hold it hold, up. Easy for me to say. I can't even speak this morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. He says, chatting with our friends over a pint in a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs or coronavirus. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that like coronavirus, but they need not dominate our minds, unquote. That's C.S. Lewis from an essay called On Living in an Atomic Age from 1948. There's a lot of wisdom in that. At the very time... When we ought to be out interacting with people, serving people, showing them the truth about Jesus, we're huddling in our homes like scared sheep. Really? Yes, we've got to take precautions. Yes, eat well, take your vitamins, wash your hands, don't shake hands, don't go out if you're sick. If you're older or have health issues, stay home, but don't stop living life. As Dr. Dan Eichenberger said earlier in this program, the financial implications of not living life are probably going to be more dramatic than any health implications of the coronavirus. In fact, this is no different than any other time. There will always be a chance you're going to get a disease and die. In fact, unless the Lord comes back in your lifetime, you can be 100% certain about one thing. You will die. And everybody has this virus known as sin. and We have the cure. His name is Jesus. In fact, at Lazarus's resurrection, here's what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Will never die. Do you believe this? That's what he said. And then he proved that you can take his statement to the bank because he rose from the dead. Well, he first resurrected Lazarus from the dead, and then he rose himself from the dead. He's God. 
And I just have a personal policy. If somebody rises from the dead, I just believe whatever the guy says. Jesus is God. Whatever he teaches is true. So, yes, we are to take precautions, but we're not to end our lives. We're to, we're to pray. We're to serve. We're to witness. We're to preach. And as I said before, this is an opportunity to get people who normally might not be interested in eternity to start thinking about it. Look, the coronavirus is not a good thing, but good things can come from it. One thing is that people can start thinking about eternity, and that gives you an opportunity to talk about Jesus with them. C.S. Lewis famously said, sometimes you only look up when you're on your back. That's true. And pain is God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. These things get our attention and we know they shouldn't be this way. Well, if they shouldn't be this way, there should be a way things are. And that points right back to God. Because when, when you say, oh, there shouldn't be viruses, there shouldn't be disease, there shouldn't be death, there shouldn't be injury, there shouldn't be these things. You're supposing that things ought to be a certain way. Well, there can't be an ought to be a certain way if there's no purpose to life. If there's no objective meaning to life, there is no ought, there just is. Well, if you're going to say this is bad or evil or wrong, or anything's bad or evil or wrong, you're presupposing a standard of good, which means you're presupposing God. Dr. Miguel Nunez has an article on the Gospel Coalition, what we know about the coronavirus. He ends it this way. Check this out. He says, the world population seems to be in a panic, but for Christians... It's important to emphasize there's no reason to experience such anxiety, especially when we consider that the God of the heavens and the earth is the same God who controls every microbe, atom, or molecule. This is a good time for Christians to demonstrate sanity, peace, and hope, recognizing that our lives do not depend on the entry of a microorganism into our bodies. Instead, it depends on the God who determines the beginning and the end of our history on earth. The Apostle Paul calls us not to be anxious for anything, the famous passage, Philippians 4 six and Nunez, Dr. Nunez says we can call Christians to peace in the worst circumstances because of God's sovereign control over creation. Indeed we can, and we should, we should be assuring people that Christianity is indeed true and that there is an answer for your mortality the answer is is that you'll never die if you trust in jesus oh you may change location you'll go from this life to the next life but if christianity is true people don't die they just change location they go from this life to the next life and i think paul's words in philippians 4 are encouraging this is a passage we used to memorize as a family we did memorize as a family uh philippians 4 Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, says Paul, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you.
It's been said in other translations, the peace of God that transcends all understandings will come to your heart and mind. Will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. So if you're anxious about this, turn it over to the Lord to pray and encourage others to do the same and encourage others to seek out the cure for the virus we all have. And that is sin. Jesus is the only way that can take it away. You see, every other religion tries to work their way to God. Christianity, God works his way to you. Every other religion is do this, do that, do this. And at the end, let's see if you've made it. Christianity is no, I've done it all. Jesus has done it all. All other religions are do this and do that. Christianity is done. He's done it. Just trust in him and be an ambassador for him. That's why you're here. You're not here to huddle in your house unless of course, right now you're elderly or you have a, you know, you have a medical condition that would be would severely compromise your ability to survive the coronavirus. Okay. Then stay home. Otherwise, Live your life, ladies and gentlemen. Take the proper precautions, wash your hands, take your vitamins, all that, but go out and live life and do commerce with people. Help them go out to a restaurant. I mean, the restaurant's closing now because of this overblown fear. Go to these people, support their businesses, support what they do, and live your life. We're not called to be fearful. We're called to be faithful so let's do that let's have a fearless faith ladies and gentlemen all right friends great being with you again and uh we'll see you next week don't forget i'm at calvary chapel chino hills this weekend all three services saturday i'm sorry sunday and then a sunday night event with the youth and uh, also check out our online courses go to crossexamine.org click on online courses you'll see them there if you're home and can't go anywhere great time to do it see you next week If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.